0: Welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner, and we are still in quarantine, and there are still toddlers who live right across the way, and it is near their morning wake-up time, so here's to the sharing section that we may have. You may or may not know this, but (laughs) I used to be a baller. Yeah, I repped number 20 just like my sister. And growing up in Toledo, Ohio, my two sisters and I trained in and played competitively in just about every sport. Basketball, soccer, softball, obviously. Swimming, tennis, golf, field hockey, football, gymnastics, water ballet. It's a thing. Volleyball, baseball, even bowling, which is big in Ohio. And of course, dance. Our holiday gifts were tickets to our favorite team games, and our entire basement was even painted as a mural of the University of Michigan football stadium with Coach Lloyd Carr staring at you in the bathroom. Questionable placement. Athletics kept us constantly commuting to and from fields and gyms in the minivan, unpacking and restocking cooler for post-scrimmage snacks. Can't believe we thought Capri Suns were proper fuel. And I'm absolutely grateful for my parents' financial and personal investment in us. We reaped immediate and long-term benefits, focus, discipline, fitness, confidence, social and leadership skills, handling victory with grace, defeat with dignity, and receiving academic scholarships, and making lifelong friends. But it seemed pretty clear it wouldn't go much further as the real world didn't have much room for female athletes. Entertainment took over my child but athletics continued to dominate my middle sister's schedule. She played basketball and lacrosse in college, but there were clear ceilings above her. High schools and universities lacked sufficiently educated staff, including coaches for girls and young women. And there are so few future opportunities in basketball that most women have to pursue professional careers overseas. And my sister saw 144 roster positions in the WNBA compared to 450 in the NBA. There's also an obvious lack of funding and a clear wage gap. Before the collective bargaining agreement in July 2019, the average salary for the NBA was 6.4 million. And in the WNBA, 72,000 if you round up according to WSN.com. This is probably why you've seen NBA players training during quarantine on their home courts and likely zero WNBA players doing the same because they don't have home courts. Additionally, a lack of visibility with... Women's athletics totaling only 4% of sports media coverage, according to NeimanReports.org, amplifies these false assumptions that there is little cultural value and significance to women's participation. Yet, just like inviting women into corporate workplaces, women into STEM, and women into any field, it statistically enhances the health, innovation, and success of companies, sectors, and ultimately, our nation. But we know that, right? Nonetheless, women know firsthand the disproportionate obstacles and ridiculousness faced in daily life, and female athletes are no exception. You'd think crowds were troll rallies between the body-shaming, gender discrimination, sexual objectification, and rude remarks as if players weren't already in a challenging, high-stakes environment trying to do their job while often managing second jobs to make up for the low salary and dealing with strict limitations on their own reproductive choices and future dreams of having a family. Well, for many people, these inequities simply don't cut it. And today you get to hear from three successful athletes who are transforming women's sports top-down and bottom-up. We have two professional WNBA players with us. And since I don't want to be outnumbered, I recruited my first ever co-host, Shantiana Keys. Shantiana is a former college women's basketball player, GC's all-time leading scorer, PS, with a passion for growing women's sports. Based in Atlanta. She's currently working for the Women's Basketball Coaches Association and has her own show titled Major Keys, which aims to bring more coverage of women in athletics. Welcome to the show, Shantiana. Can you set the stage and give us a little background on the WNBA as well as our two guests today?
1: Yes, I'd love to. Big fan of the game and big fan of everyone here. So thank you for having me. The Women's National Basketball Association is a professional basketball league here in the U.S. The league was founded on April 22, 1996, as the women's counterpart to the National Basketball Association. It is currently composed of 12 teams. One of those 12 teams is in my beautiful home city of Atlanta, where our guest Elizabeth Williams plays for the Atlanta Dream. Elizabeth Williams was born in England and played at Duke University, where she was a WBCA All-American and Defensive Player of the Year. The fourth overall pick in the 2015 WNBA draft, she currently is heading into her sixth season in the Greatest City, where the play is play and the parties don't stop till eight in the morning. <laughs> Get it? Okay. Had to do it. Representing the other coast from the WNBA Seattle Storm, we have Sue Bird, who is originally from New York and played at the University of Connecticut, where she won two national championships. Heading into her 19th WNBA season, she's a three-time champion and four-time hopefully five-time Olympic gold medalist. Oh, and how can I forget? She is also co-hosting the 2020 Espies. casual. amidst <laughs> COVID-19, both have taken to Instagram Live to educate the masses and make us laugh. Elizabeth's series, E-Talks with Docs, allows people to submit their questions to different doctors about COVID and other topics. Sue and Megan Rapino co-host a touch more and get into sports, life, and really nothing is off limits. Both women are raising money for charity, with e-supporting Female Researchers through the American Cancer Society, and Sue for Hunger Not Impossible.
0: You are such an excellent reporter. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Today, we are going to break down our conversation into four quarters because sports. First quarter, we'll get a glimpse into the daily life and mindset of a WNBA player. Second and third quarters, we'll hear about the epic evolution within the WNBA and the unique challenges remaining. Fourth quarter, we're going to do a rapid fire round of quick questions. And with four athletes yes i'm including myself it might get spicy elizabeth and sue welcome to simplexity
2: thank you for having us
0: yeah thanks so let's pretend i'm switching careers and becoming a professional female basketball player outside of covid and the fact that i'm four foot three what does a typical calendar year entail between like on and off seasons training, professional obligations? If we start
2: with the WNBA season, you'll have your training camp kind of end of April, early May. And then the season starts and goes on through the summer. Playoffs are over about mid-October. And then most players, I think it's like 80%, um, actually go to play overseas to supplement their salaries and just continue playing basketball. So like after this past season, I went Overseas to play in Turkey with Fenerbahçe. And I was there. I would have been there until early May, but because of COVID, uh, (laughs) I got back in towards the end of March. But yeah, generally, it's pretty much year round basketball because most people go straight from the WNBA right into that overseas play, which can create a lot of stressors. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to make some money.
0: Yes, do
3: you have anything to add? So, yeah. No, that's that's the life. Um, for, for for myself, at times, you have national team obligations sprinkled in there. I don't even know how they make it fit, but they like to find the, the two or three days you have and, and fill them up. Um, I have stopped playing overseas, so my life has slowed down a little bit in terms of the year-round grind, which um, has been nice, but it actually brings... Like a whole other set of issues, which is staying in basketball shape, staying on top of your game. It does open up doors. So I- I've been able to like try different things in what is my off season, which is usually people's in season. So it's like fall, winter, springish. So I'm able to try other things, but then basketball kind of takes this weird backseat. So it's all about finding the balance, very similar to when you are in the year round grind. It's all about finding whatever works for you, that balance.
0: Nice. And how has COVID affected this lifestyle then?
3: We're just like everyone, complete, complete pause button. You know, for for us, I think in the WNBA, because there are not question marks, it's it's more like there's hope to play, you know, so we get like updates and it's like, yeah, this could happen, that could happen. So you're just in this like weird, okay, obviously you stay in shape, but it's like, do I get game ready or do I have to try and find a court? Because I know I don't have one. So that's going to be a a mess (laughs) when it comes down to it. So it's kind of just like everybody in their own way. We're in the same awkward place.
0: Mm
2: Yeah, I was actually overseas when this all started and we had to play a game without fans and it was actually our rivalry game against Gala, which is usually a a huge game over there. So that was very odd. And then later that week, our GM basically said, well, you know, the the league is canceled, so you guys should fly to America tomorrow. And it was also around the time that travel bans are starting. So everybody was just kind of scrambling. I've never seen the airport like that. But yeah, it was pretty crazy.
0: That sounds stressful. That sounds like full court stress, (laughs) we'll call it. (laughs) sorry i had to i had to <laughs> um, so we see that competition continues to intensify across all sports and it's placing this pressure on athletes to enhance performance to superhuman levels you know start younger secure the best trainers etc and it's not uncommon for young female athletes in particular to face things like disordered eating, amenorrhea, early osteoporosis, developmental delays, dangerous stress, and and other injuries. On one hand, your career longevity depends on the fitness of the machine, yet the average WNBA career is only three to five years, which adds a layer of complexity to figure out what your life and career will look like after dedicating everything to this relatively brief endeavor. So Sue, you've been called a legendary larger-than-life superstar for making clutch plays. With many years under your belt, what were your tactics in maintaining physical, mental, emotional wellness for so long, and have those methods adjusted over time?
3: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like you look back on a career; it went so fast. It's hard to even imagine that I'm going into my nineteenth year. I'm like, when did that happen? Uh, but somehow it did, and here I am. And I think when I think back on it, there was just moments, right? Whether it was dealing with the year-round grind, and you know, there would be times where you would show up for practice, and it was like almost exhausting just to like put my shoes on. Not exhausting like the physical act of it, but just like the thought of it what it meant, oh, I got to go to practice, and it can really bring you down. I think early on, a lot of the credit goes to my family because they always preached balance. <laughs> like, my sister was really um, very successful, like, academically, and so even though school and sports are different in just what they are, they're really not that different. And so both of us got a lot of great lessons from our parents on having balance, making sure, you know, for me, basketball and sports wasn't the only thing, mm-hmm. making sure I had time for my friends, making sure I had time for my schoolwork, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I feel really lucky that I had that really fast. I think now to like all the mental health, it's a whole new layer of the conversation that wasn't totally. a part of it. years Oh, ago. nobody talked about this. Are you kidding? Right? Yeah, nobody talked about it. Sometimes I think about like, this is going to be a total aside, but we had this kid when I was in elementary school who always missed school. I'm I'm telling you, I can't remember his name off the top, but like everybody in my class would know. It was like, oh, he's always missing school. And now looking back, I'm like, I wonder what was wrong. Like something, and he wasn't sick. It was, he was never, it wasn't because he was sick. And it's like, oh, you wonder what was going on. And it's it's obviously great that we're talking about it now. And that's what I was getting at with the WNBA because now there's all these resources. But back when I was growing up and obviously into college and beyond, you just had to figure out a way to deal with it. So I feel really lucky that my parents kind of instilled that in me. But then as far as like making sure my body was good to go, there's definitely moments. So I had like a mid-career moment where I had to do that, like look in the mirror thing. And then I had like a later career moment. And the later one is kind of where I am now. It was probably five years ago. And I basically just had to say to myself, my career was a plateauing for sure. And it, Some might say it was dipping (laughs) and I just had to kind of have that like real look, like, what can you do? Like, what can you control? And that's where I kind of bought into the whole control what you can control and the rest, you know, you just got to go out there and and whatever happens, happens. So I changed my diet. I changed my workout regimen, hired people to help me. But all in all, I have to say, I've been very lucky that I've always had people around me that weren't like pushing me in any negative ways. I had friends who were supportive. So I've been really lucky. And again, now with the WNBA and and all all that we're doing with mental health, like I want to make sure other people have that.
0: Sometimes I look at the strict nature of training as a dancer too, and you learn to Adapt to very painful experiences. And so sometimes when you focus on actually alleviating some of that pain, like you wonder if the grit and tenacity will dip because we're now being a little bit more sensitive. And it's mm-hmm. just finding that balance of like, how do you support the human being, but also play your best? And so, Elizabeth, in just a, a few years, you've gone from, now that I have the stats correctly, most improved player to an all-star. But people may not know that you also have interests in medicine and business. Um, You even went through the crossover into business program at Harvard Business School, which helps athletes prepare for the future. What was your biggest takeaway from the program? And and how are you balancing your active career with what's ahead?
2: Yeah, it was really interesting on the... Crossover into business was kind of proposed to me because I know nothing about business. And that was the year I played in China overseas. So I had a little bit of time before the WNBA season. And so for me, I was like, you know what? I don't know anything about this. Like, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to see what this is about. And I think probably one of my biggest takeaways was that it's kind of cliche, but there's a little bit of business in every field. So I think that was the biggest thing I took away from it and just like, obviously, people talk about building relationships with other people, but understanding where your money is going, and what that means, I think is really important. And it's not often taught, like I know in school, like nothing business related was taught. (laughs) So it was just a really cool opportunity to kind of step outside of myself a little bit and learn that. Like Diana said
1: on on a touch more,
2: maybe you're pushing toward being an owner of one of these
1: teams someday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, for the Harvard certificate to use, you know. Um, (laughs) If you were to, to take a bird's eye view at the many ways that, you know, sports have affected your lives, what are some of the key ways participating in athletics has shaped your personality, your behavior, relationships?
3: Relationships and how you you move through the world I would say everything has come from sports in some way shape or form I mean listen for me it's it's been my whole life I started playing practically immediately out of the womb and I've been on teams since and I feel like especially team sports for me it's like getting along with people this actually speaks a little bit more to my experience overseas but but still in America, it's like, no matter what race, religion, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's not there because you're all coming together for this common goal. And you might not even like each other, right? There might even be like personality conflicts, but you find a way to put it to the side for that common goal. So just like getting along with people, I don't know, being interested in different things, whether it's in a different country, in a different culture, or a, a teammate, you know, everybody on my team is from somewhere that I'm not. And there's there's things to learn from that. So I think that aspect of it has hundred percent helped shape who I am. I don't think I was ever judgmental per se. It's not that, but now I know I have like zero judgment. Like you live in Russia for 10 years, it's like they do things weird. And at first it's kind of like this, but then I'm like, this is how they do it, right? It might be a little different, but that doesn't make it wrong. No, 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 no. This is how they <laughs> exactly. do it,
0: you know? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah, I just I find that in every encounter I have, I've got that vibe.
2: Meeting new people, making new friends, it's cliche, but becoming friends with people you probably never would have become friends with if you didn't play the sport is probably the biggest thing for me. I would say, like, I was pretty sheltered as a kid. Like, having Nigerian parents, they don't really want you doing much. So, uh, basketball was kind of my way to get out and meet new people. And I've had, you know, I've built lifelong friendships with those people. And then the other part, you know, the sports part is just being pushed. I was fortunate to have a high school coach that really pushed me. He was a former drill sergeant. Being able to learn from different people, being able to take criticism and use that to grow, I think Mm. it's a huge thing that sports brings.
1: I think it can't be overstated how much sports... Help young girls, help young people in general, just with life. I mean, it's a microcosm of life. So it cannot be overstated. Sports are important.
0: That's right. Sports. <laughs> just kidding. I actually Sports. am fairly athletic. <laughs> 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 like, it looks like I'm not, but I was talking with Shantiana before this, and I was like, I look these days more like a mathlete than an athlete, but <laughs> it's cool. So let's transition to second quarter. <laughs> Uh, while the benefits for women in sports are clear, as just indicated, uh, these aren't always apparent or celebrated in the U.S. Band bases are actually bigger and more energized overseas, which implies other countries may be more supportive than we are at home sometimes. And in a way, sports mirror who we are socially and That presents the urgency to grow the leagues here. After all, if a young girl sees the strength, empowerment, and potential made possible through sports, it can lead to major benefits in society. So let's jump into the second quarter and hear how the WNBA has evolved over the years to bet on women.
1: Sue, if we were to do a before and after with your first year in the league in (laughs) 2002— to now, what are the biggest overarching changes you've seen in the infrastructure, the treatment of players and staff, and opportunities within the league?
3: You know, interestingly enough, when I first came into the league, the league had only been around for maybe like five years or so. And so in order to start the league, there was a huge push, right? And I heard stories and rumors of what kind of contracts some of the early players got, not the -the on-the-court contract, but they would have these like off the court marketing deals that they could do with the league. So there was, that was kind of like, you know, people were talking about that. My first year, actually, the teams were owned by the league. So the individual teams didn't own it. And so all that meant was, you know, if, if the NBA team that you were affiliated with, and by the way, all the teams at that point, there was no independent and independent teams either. So if the NBA team stayed at the Ritz Carlton, that's where you were staying. You kind of did like very similar things. You shared everything that they had, whether it was the practice courts, the different arenas, everything was pretty much shared. So interestingly enough, I was there when it was kind of like still being pushed in this way. And then it went to individual ownership, but that lasted for like a long time. And now here we are. So I saw it when it was that push and then it kind of settled and this word's coming up again, but it kind of plateaued maybe took a dip. (laughs) And now here we are with this new CBA. So that's kind of like the trajectory of it all in terms of how I've seen it. The one thing that has continued to get better, never, never took a dip was the level of play. We had 16 teams when I came in, sadly it dropped to 12, but you know, as Allison said earlier, it's like that's 12 teams, 12 roster spots, 144 players, the competition's crazy. So it's just survival of the fittest. So the brand of basketball, the product itself has never been better. Like, even my rookie year, I look back, and it's like, it was good for what it was in that time. But with each draft class, this league has just gotten better and better. So that's kind of how I would, like, summarize my my experience. It hasn't
1: been more evident than in the last few days with the roster cuts this past week. Trim the fat, if you will, but, like, it's really always going to be the best of the best when you have those few roster spots.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. like I said, on court, gotten better and better. Now we, with our new CBA, have finally put together an agreement that matches that. And it matches us and it matches where we are in our growth as a league. And we kind of joke, you know, on the EC Elizabeth, I are are both on the executive committee. It's kind of like, this is kind of the agreement that will like set off the next agreement. We just needed to rework some things and get this foundation to build on. And we finally have it.
0: It's important to recognize when you're setting up infrastructure in an institution like this that things aren't always going to last for the next century. You do have to think in increments and also work with the people and where they're at in their headspace and what they're willing to compromise on. And what's best for right now is going to be different in five, six years. For those who are unfamiliar with the CBA, Elizabeth, what is the CBA and the specific victories and promises within it?
2: Yeah. So the CBA is a collective bargaining agreement. It's with the league the WNBA and the players union. So the players basically just like how unions work so that workers have their rights. Essentially what we've done is just like come up with terms to make sure that we're doing our part as players to make sure that the league is growing and the league basically isn't like abusing their power and what they can do for us. And so recently we signed a new CBA with just general improvements in the player health and safety in salary and compensation and just the overall player experience.
0: And what are some of those specifics? I know there's now maternity leave, and there's like a new annual childcare stipend. I see workplace accommodations for nursing mothers, two bedroom apartments. Yeah, I'm like Shantiana, take it away because you know this <laughs> better than I do.
1: I think the salary increase, I mean, that that's huge. And then I mean you talk about veterans being eligible for reimbursement for adoption and surrogacy expenses. You know, that that's huge. I mean, there are a lot of leagues and associations and regular workplaces that obviously don't have those kind of benefits. I spoke with Kendall Coin Schofield from U.S. women's hockey team. They won gold last year. And they have been, you know, in conversation with their governing body. And she mentioned that there are players from the WMBPA that, you know, she's Been In conversation with to help them in their process, you know, to come up to an agreement with their association. Have you all ever, I guess, been involved in those conversations and I guess is it encouraging that the WNBA is ahead of a lot of these other leagues and can give advice to other players and other sports.
3: Yeah, I think women's sports right now, we're definitely in a place where we're kind of, um, the more we meet each other and the more we interact, we're like, oh, we're kind of in this together. And, and everybody's scenario is different. So obviously with Megan being my girlfriend, I have like an insight to a lot of what she goes through with the soccer team. And, you know, that's like a federation, which is a different thing than a league. You know, the, the where the money comes from, how it's divvied out, it's all kind of different. But there's a lot of parallels too. So we can definitely learn from each other. I listen in on a lot of her calls not even on purpose, you know, someone's got to make the dinner. Um, but she'll also hear some of our calls too. And it's just interesting to hear, again, the differences, the similarities, how much you can learn. And it's also nice to like have people advocating for you that aren't within your structure. I mean, this goes across the board, right? We can literally talk about any topic. Whenever you have people who are willing to fight the fight along with you who are not associated, have nothing to do with, it goes a little bit further. It speaks mm-hmm. a little bit louder. So I think that's where we are. You know, you bring up Hockey, Hillary Knight, somebody who... We actually have the same agency. So like I've had conversations with her, mm. you know, a lot of other athletes you meet along the way. So it's cool. And, and to your point, from a WNBA standpoint, especially with things like maternity leave, the family planning aspect of it all. I mean, these are leagues and teams full of women. How is this not hundred percent paid? You know, how is mm. it never hundred percent paid? How do we not have the ability to, you know, bring a nanny on the road and have that be supportive or have an extra bedroom? Or if you want to freeze your eggs, you can look into that. Like, how is this not already? But now it is. And now I think other leagues, again, to your point, will see that and either try to mimic it or maybe, I'm not even going to feel bad about this, maybe they feel pressure. Maybe the powers that be in those places feel the pressure to now match that. So it feels good to, to, to get that done, to have been part of the group that started it.
0: This is all very exciting. <laughs> and um, I, I want to dive in to another major aspect of being a professional athlete. And that is simultaneously being a public figure who has to cultivate a brand and an image and a fan base. And we'll soon find out how this is kind of a double-edged sword. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Welcome back. We are here with Elizabeth Williams and Sue Bird and my co-host Chantiana Keys, discussing all things WNBA and women's athletics. So everyone, as uh, public figures, there is pressure and expectation to cultivate a personal brand on top of your athletic and career performance. Let's hash this into several pieces. First... Certain athletes seem to have an easier or more difficult time winning the hearts of the public. Why is that?
2: Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's go I there. guess I'll speak for myself. Um, I'm not super out there. And I, I tend to be pretty low key. My agent kind of pushes me to do things because I just don't want to. But as an athlete, you're already out there. So for somebody like me, uh, it's about like kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone into being that public figure. I think social media does help that because right. you can just, you know, post like a couple things that you're doing. And then all of a sudden, like people are like, oh, this is interesting. And then they follow you. So like in that sense, it's a little bit easier probably than in the past. Because otherwise, like without social and things like that, you really have to get yourself out there. So yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just like the type of person you are and the way that you put yourself out there.
3: I would agree. I think for me, what I found is at some point, you're just going to have to like be comfortable with who you are and kind of be genuine to that. Because I do think that no matter what that is, assuming you're not, you know, a big a-hole, like people will respect that you're just being like honest and genuine and true to that. Because the one thing we find in this world, and especially on teams especially on teams, is like people can smell bullshit. Like if someone's like yeah. just trying to front and try to be something they're not, you just know it. And know, and you're kind of like, I don't really want to be around that. I do think for athletes sometimes there's, I know for me earlier in my career, there was a certain pressure to maybe be more feminine. Sometimes I have to remind my younger teammates, like when I first came in the league, it was 2002. It's a long time ago. They clowned my clothes. I'm like, listen, J.Crew uh, khaki skirts were in. Like You can't <laughs> clown me for that. <laughs> but in a more serious topic, it was like, being feminine was really pushed and they wanted you to like wear a dress and do this. And now honestly, it's like, we all in our own walks, like find what you're comfortable in. Now it's like, if I wear jeans, t-shirts and sneakers, that may not be what like, you know, the quote unquote world wants, but because it's like me being who I am, I think people are even more drawn to that. So it was, for me, it was just about figuring out and finding, you know, in my own way, and my own time, like what that was and just kind of like sticking to it. And then if they don't like you, they don't like you. As a
1: basketball fan and a fan of the WNBA, I feel like there has been this concerted effort by the players, as you said, like, present, like, whoever you are. Instead of trying to assimilate into what, I guess, the world would would like you to be or more feminine or manicured in whatever way that was, it seems like there's been a concerted effort. Um, And I watched... Uh, You and and Megan on uh, The Shop on HBO, and you mentioned that, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team, people view them as the girls next door, right? And and the WNBA players don't fit into that. Do you think that that has, you know, an effect on, I guess, not necessarily the league, but
3: again, the, the mass viewership? Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's like to be blunt, it's like our league is is obviously not predominantly. Our league is women. Our league is predominantly black women and then a lot of gay women as well. I mean, think about our world right now. Look outside. Like those are three of like the main issues, the main things where there's, you know, a lot of prejudice, a lot of racism, you name it. So I think our league fights that where I think, and Megan and I have talked about this, so it's not saying anything at a turn. Whereas her team, even though they do have gay women, that's kind of overlooked because they're just like cute little white girls. So it is different. And I think both of us, when we talk, we kind of see that even more as we discuss some of the things that that we battle. So it's a real thing. I mean, the the way I like to see it is like we represent the world. We really do. Like we represent what's going on in the world. We represent Mm. what a lot of
0: people are fighting for in this one league. Wow, that's a really good way of putting it. Now, second part of this convoluted topic, um, if you ignore your personal brand and decrease visibility and attention, can it be detrimental to your financial success? Like, do you feel that you need to be opportunistic, you know, and does your position on the roster dictate how far your brand deals will go?
2: I mean, I think you do have to be opportunistic to an extent. I mean, generally, I think athletes have an obligation to be out there and be good role models. Like, I know they hate to say it, but I think that's something that has kind of helped me move forward and try mm-hmm. to be more authentic and show my interests and start E-talks with docs and things like that. In a sense, we do have to put ourselves out there. And that, that does, I mean, it helps you individually getting marketing deals and putting ourselves out there. But additionally it puts the league out there you know people don't know exist there are plenty of people in Atlanta that don't know there's a WNBA team here so if I have to be more bold and show myself and market my individual brand for that to grow then I'll do that
3: ironically it's like for so long the WNBA kind of wanted us to fit in this little box and that was probably what was holding us back Cause now fast forward to quarantine times and you know, like E has her IG show. I have mine. There's actually a ton of us who are doing different things. And all I hear all the time is like, Oh my God, this is the best marketing the WNBA ever had. Like they didn't even know they needed it and they needed it because you're actually seeing, because I think as women, sometimes I have a hard time explaining what I'm trying to get to on this point, but I'm going to give it a go. As women, there's like this huge spectrum of where we fall. Like we're all sprinkled in and it's not to say men are more narrow, I just think as an athlete, there's a certain like mold that you can kind of be like, okay, if I want to be like so-and-so, I need to wear this suit at the draft. I need to do this, you know, off the court. I need to have a foundation. I need to, and there's kind of a little bit of a, where women, we're just all over the place, which is the best part. We've been like narrowed in this way. We're now, I think the WNBA and just the players have really pushed this. We're, We're kind of showing, we're showcasing more of ourselves. So that's going to lead to to probably more opportunity because back to my um, original point, it's like it is a little more authentic and people are drawn to that. But yeah, I I actually don't think the off the court like branding part will impact your on the court like position, again, unless you're a jerk. If you're a jerk, that you're done. (laughs) Especially if like you're fighting for the last spot and it's between you and somebody else who's not a jerk, that might kind of tip the scale. But if you're a good basketball player, usually the off court is not going to impact your roster spot. I think
1: that the storytelling, you know, is what compels people for sports or or even just the masses, right? Like you watch the Olympics. I don't necessarily care about curling, but when they put the package up, I'm like, oh gosh, he had such a hard time getting here, you know? (laughs) So I think social media and, you know, WNBA players being able to touch and reach out to the fans. I'm not kidding. I watch every episode of a touch more and it's because you get like this insight of players You know, 10 years ago, you felt like you knew LeBron James even if he wasn't on social media, right? And so I think as long as players, you know, get their stories out there and you're able to know them or feel like you know them in some ways, I think that that sells these players and these teams to people.
0: And, E, you sort of brought this up, the idea of having a larger impression on the world and a greater responsibility being in the public eye. What is the broader impact each of you would like to have on the public besides, you know, general inspiration? I mean, I think
2: generally the idea of, again, cliche, but like giving to others. I think mine is obviously a little different in me talking to doctors, but the biggest thing I get from them is that's their way of impacting the world. And through the money I'm raising for female researchers, like for whatever reason, female scientists are just not getting the same grant money as men. And we're literally in a public health crisis where that extra grant money could have been huge in understanding COVID and the ability to successfully make vaccines and things like that. There's obviously this disparity and there are obviously people that are trying to make positive changes. So being able to give yourself, give your time, give your money or whatever, that makes a huge difference in the public eye.
3: I think for me, when it comes to like, you know, wanting to kind of share my journey with people and hopefully that has like a positive impact on them as individuals. I think of stuff I've already brought up, which is like the first thing being yourself. It's like the easiest thing to say, you know, it comes right off your tongue. It's not the easiest thing to do. And for me, it was definitely a process and a journey. And I finally got there. Don't get me wrong. I still don't know exactly who I am all the time, but you know, for the most part, I kind of know who I am and what I stand for. And there's just something very empowering and I don't know, just freeing in that. So I definitely like to share that part. Another thing is like, I think these are the two things, two elements that along with this, that have like formed who I am as a person and a player, which is like dealing with conflict, like, I don't know. I just, through the injuries that I've had in my sport, I've really figured out like what I'm made of. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of times in life, we view these periods of adversity as, you know, almost like, I don't want to deal with it. I hope it doesn't happen when the reality is like, it's going to happen. Like we're basically all just preparing for when the shit does hit the fan. And then once it does, you got to be able to deal with it and figure out how to deal with it. And the more you do that and kind of overcome, the more confidence you get. Again, this is like my sports kind of lingo with that, but I don't know that the quicker I kind of realize like, oh, it's they're going to be bad days. And it's really about how I attack those days versus trying to avoid them. I just think there's something powerful in that. So that combination is definitely like if I were to talk to a group of kids, that's kind of where I kind of fall with that. But to East point, it's like there's so many different fights to fight. You know, we have our okay. own little fight in the world of sports. It goes hand in hand with so many different things. And I think, again, I mentioned being an advocate for others. It's like if I see something that's happening that's wrong, I want to share you know, my voice, my platform, and kind of help with that as well. Because I know I would love it in return, too, when I'm talking about things with the WNBA or women's sports. So I just kind of, not that I seek them out. It's like when they happen, though, I want to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah. And and you mentioned, you know, using your voice and your platform, making social, political, or religious statements while you're associated with the league is obviously complicated. For example, a lot of players wore the Black Lives Matter t-shirts during warm-ups a few years ago, and other leagues have not really had the freedom to do similar demonstrations. From the inside, how do you navigate the tension for so many worldviews and still stand up for what you believe in, even if it puts you at risk?
2: I think, again, our league is unique in that we have a lot of Black women. And I feel like, generally, historically, the people who stand up have been Black women. And I think also players have done a good job of being fearless in that sense. You know, players kneeling before it was super popular, players wearing those shirts. And we also were fortunate to have a league that said, you know what, they have a right to do this. They have a right to stand up and speak out. And I think that's something that I always think about, that I'm very fortunate that I'm in a league like that. And I'm also thankful that we're built of players who are so fearless and so open-minded. And that's huge. And I'm just really grateful for that, for sure.
3: She hit it on the head, like exactly that. The league never fought us, but there was like a, we're going to find them, ba 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 And they ended up taking that back, which, um, you know, was, was huge because look what our league is. Like, again, we this is what we represent. Like, how can we not be the voice? How can we not be the first ones to say something? So to have that, I guess, space to support what we think is important is a big part of it. But it really starts with the players
1: all right so moving to public commentary you'll find that on some national publications most comments are negative on posts about women's sports this is not new this is not shocking to anyone here um (laughs) as though you know we're like interrupting normal programming or that it's abnormal but honestly it is abnormal because as Allison mentioned earlier only four percent of coverage is for women's sports so I guess it it is disruptive. Um, I'm sure you see the this isn't a kitchen comments and they're, again, constant disruption. How do you both manage the critics and the naysayers?
3: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, who wants to go first?
2: (laughs) I mean, generally, I I just ignore it because most of the time they're like eight years old and don't know anything about anything. So, I mean, I just I don't know. I feel for these people because I'm like, dang, don't you have... I know you have another female in your life, so there is no way that you talk to them like this. Like there's no way. And if you do, that's just really unfortunate. But I think <laughs> for the most part, I just ignore it because at the end of the day, I'm a professional athlete and you're not.
3: I feel similar. I've, I've never had someone say it to my face. Yeah. Never, literally mm. never. I mean, every now and then there might be a guy like, I could be one-on-one, but that's not the same as like, get back in the kitchen. No one has ever said that. I bet to any of our faces, to be honest. I actually totally agree with the part about having another female in their life and no way they speak to it. Like you have a mother, you might have a sister, you might have an aunt, you might have a daughter, all these things. So it's just, and it's probably for the most part, it's, it's kids who just are trying to like get a comment back. And I actually don't mess with the trolls at all but there was something recent where I kind of was like, all right, I got time and I responded to some stuff and we kind of went back and forth. And what happened at the end? Oh no, my bad. I love your game. Total respect. It's like, they just are trying to get the reaction. So you have to ignore it.
1: Yeah, sadly. <laughs> you said eight years old, but sadly, I think there are like 40 year old men who got
3: cut from the grade. Totally. <laughs> uh, Dude, you're weird like that though. They just want to <laughs> like size you up, play one-on-one. I'm like, bro. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Natasha Cloud, she went back and forth with the guy was like, play, you know, play me. Yeah. Um,
3: Diana always just goes, and this is not always the nicest thing, but she's like, whatever. Like I make money doing this. You're broke. (laughs) Meaning like they don't play professional basketball. They might not be broke, but you're not making money playing basketball. Like we are.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. So for the future, what kind of marketing
3: would you like to see for women's sports or the WNBA? I would just like to see it. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Um, I think I'd like to see it be a little more thoughtful to, you know, to, to, Again, what I was saying earlier, like there are so many different personalities, and, and kind of allowing us to be that versus trying to put us in a box. I'm speaking from from personal experience with that, um, and just being a little more creative. I do have this one this one like marketing idea I would love to do at some point with like anyone, but it's basically like you guys have seen a time to kill. Oh, I love this
0: complexity exclusive coming at us right now. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. So,
3: if you've seen the movie A Time to Kill at the very no, okay, at the very end, the whole like I'm, I don't want to give it away, but basically Yes, no, go there. Okay. <laughs> two two southern men, right? Rape a little black girl. And so mm. it's all about you can imagine what happens in this oh, in this God. small town. Matthew McConaughey is the lawyer. He's obviously white. He takes on the case. Anyways, at the very end, the way I know I'm going to give this movie away. Sorry, guys. But at the very end, in trial, he basically has the jury close their eyes and he tells the story of a little girl getting raped. Wow. And like, now imagine she's white. And it's like that moment where it's like all those people, like, of course, all these terrible things happen. They're terrible no matter who you are, what you are. It doesn't matter. But when he put the framing of now she's white, they were like, oh, God. And they like hit them in a different way. So I'll bring the mood right back up. I feel like for women's athletes to have something where it's like, you're telling the story of an athlete and with like making the, the consumer think it's a male make, you know, like telling the story, telling the story. And at the very end, you're like, that's a woman. And so they can just be like, Oh, because I think what people miss with women's sports is that our grind is the same. Our love is the same. Our passion is the same. We do have stories. You just haven't heard them. So you might think we're boring or whatever, but like we do have the compelling stories. So to get people to understand that we are the same, no, the differences for women's basketball, we don't dunk. Maybe we're not like as athletic, but that's like science and genetics and stuff. Like that's not our fault. So to kind of just appreciate it for what it is and knowing that in the foundation of it all, it's very similar to what they already love. And Mm -hmm. so just to get that moment of think, oh, that was a woman who did that. So I would love to have some sort of marketing like with that. I don't know
1: and I don't think I just like
3: dreamt this or made this up years
1: ago I thought there was like an animation commercial and it was a basketball player and they do what you're what you're describing they go through it and then at the end they reveal it's a women's basketball player and I want to say it was Maya Moore and I remember thinking like like, maybe
3: (laughs) never finding it but I think maybe it, you dreamt it <laughs> meant to be. Either way, you should make it happen. <laughs> but you get my vibe, right? Like, yeah. I feel like that would be good. And then the other side of it is just to like be a little bit more creative about like and allowing us to showcase who we are.
0: Because you end up doing that right now during COVID and it's working wonders. Yeah.
1: <laughs> as the WNBPA, you all have taken on the bet on women. I'm rocking the shirt now, but you also have the, the mask as of recently with the players. What does that mean to each of you?
2: I love that on woman. I think it's the perfect phrase because obviously it's universal. It's not just sports. And I also love seeing guys with the shirts <laughs> because it kind of goes back to like, okay, you definitely have a woman in your life, like you would want them to be treated fairly with respect and all those things. I think creating this simple phrase that is just really powerful has been it's just been super effective in us getting our point across. At the end of the day, invest in us. Like Sue said, we're we're doing the same things. We're working out just as hard. We're, you know, trying to create the best product possible. And we've seen the product become incredible as the league has gone on. So when you invest in us and when you support us, really awesome things happen. So. Just, I just love it.
3: Yeah, I like it because it's like people need to be reminded. All these, all these male sports that we are constantly getting compared to, they started somewhere too, and they needed people to bet on them. Like They didn't come out of the you know, gate making a ton of money and being all kinds of crazy successful. That's not how that works. Mm. We kind of get judged in that way, like, oh, they lose money every year. So does every other league when they first start. And we're already in year like 20-something. Like Some of these leagues, it took forever to get to where we are now. So it's just a nice reminder that, you know, this is how this works. This is how you get a sports league to work. You invest in it. You know, you talked about media coverage. I think investment is like similar percentage in in terms of how much of the pie we get. It's very, 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 very low. And here we are still making it work. Imagine if we had more investment.
0: Okay. I feel like we've gone into the depths of the league. um, And I would like to bring us up for some air for the fourth quarter and switch up the pace here. So to close out, I, I'd like to do this rapid fire round of questions that both of you can answer. Feel free to drop knowledge, spit truth, make jokes, just make it snappy. Okay?
3: <laughs> we <laughs> are do we a rapid ready? fire on a touch more and I, nobody oh, understands okay. the rapid part.
0: I'm like, this is supposed to be fast. Oh, (laughs) well then now let's see how you do. I know, right? (laughs) I'm going to like ask you an incredibly deep philosophical question, but that's fine. Okay, one, two, three, go. You both have Instagram live series during COVID, with Docs, and a touch more. What has been the most impactful thing you learned while producing this
3: content? Production is hard. I mean, people see the final result and it seems all snazzy. It takes a lot. It's like tedious time of like, which should, feels like it should take, looks like it took five minutes, takes like five hours.
2: I guess this is more specific to the topic, but the level of appreciation doctors have gotten from when all this COVID stuff started has been so impactful for them. Like they're so inspired and motivated to work just because people are sending them meals and clapping at seven o'clock, like it seems dumb, but for them, it's made a huge, huge difference, especially the people, the auxiliary staff that usually don't get any credit. So janitors, the chefs, all those people in the hospital that people don't ever pay attention to, them being noticed has made a huge difference during COVID.
0: Amazing. What do you like most about the city you play in?
2: Probably the food. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: like to be a I love, yeah.
3: <laughs> I love the, the convenience of Seattle because it's not a huge city, but it's not small, but it never, everything's like easy. It's, it's mm-hmm. New York. New York can feel like, oh God, I'm never going to get there. going to Seattle is just, like, very convenient. What are you most excited about this season if it's played? Playing. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, doing it. <laughs> I think if we, if we get on the court, it's going to be in 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, it'll be this unique thing that we all participated in, like, playing during a pandemic and yeah. maybe being, like, that morale lifter for some people, assuming we're all safe and all that good stuff.
1: Who is on your Mount Rushmore of women's sports? No. <laughs> The
3: hardest question. Sports? Like all sports?
0: (sighs) All sports? I'm like, I only know basketball.
3: (laughs) You can eat
0: your words for wanting to be rapid and completely failing on this question. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. Uh, Let's go, let's go,
3: let's go. Okay, I'm just going to do basketball. So I'll say Lisa Leslie, Diana Taurasi, Lauren Jackson, Cheryl Miller.
0: I was a great water ballerina. I feel like you could (laughs) have been Rushmore water ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i have my I mean, uh, breath underwater for like 12 seconds that's actually
3: well you should probably start with serena i feel like that's a miss on i was point. gonna say serena for sure <laughs> okay i gotta
2: do me a ham that's another good one lisa is it just four yeah,
0: yeah mm-hmm.
2: four. <laughs> oh gosh
0: <laughs> uh, i mean you can add a couple more peaks to your mountain range i mean i have
2: to put two on there it's Aww. just i have to. Um, wow. and then
0: it's hard when it doesn't go both ways too, you I, i'm
2: not i am not offended please don't put me on there <laughs> we'll just leave it at the four
1: okay and who is the greatest women's team of all time in sport? not a program because i you know can't be uconn it's got to be one one single team again this is very
3: basketball centric i'm going to do 2016 olympic team oh yeah
2: that's huge yeah. yeah
1: it could
3: be the 96 olympic team too
2: I watched those, that replay of those. You those, did? Like, yeah. yeah. Really <laughs> cool funny. to watch.
3: Did but, you um, see when well, Lauren pulled Lisa Leslie's hair out? Yeah. <laughs> quote, unquote, by accident. The ponytail this went. Phew. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that didn't seem. She, she swears it was by accident. She swears her hand got, like, caught in the, it was a fake pony, as it turns out, and just, like, pulled it right off. Like, she was like, oh, I was just trying to get my hand out. I was like, nah. eh. there was an extra, like, curl of the finger and just, anyways. <laughs> Okay, what
1: is your earliest WNBA memory?
2: So, the league actually posted this tweet, um, and I replied. So, my earliest, like, live WNBA memory was my AU team went to a Mystics game in, I don't know what year it was, but it was the 10-year anniversary of the league. So, it was, like, my first live professional women's basketball game because it was a 10-year anniversary, they had these little towels. Still have it, and these little bears, these little Mystics bears. So it's it's still at my parents' house. And I think at that point it was the Miller sisters that were playing for the Mystics. Yeah, and I just remember watching me like, wow, this is so cool. Like, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: my first memory was going to a Liberty game. It was year one. And it's going to be really random, but there was this player who was, like, always dancing on the Liberty bench, like, every basket. She didn't play much, but she would always, like, have this vibe to her, and she was just <laughs> always dancing, and then, and I, like, vividly remember that. Like, yes, I remember Rebecca Lobo, I remember Cynthia Cooper raising the roof, all that, but this player, I would just, like, watch her during the games, and then fast forward five years, she was my teammate. I was like, oh, my God, you're the dancer. <laughs> And she's, her name's Simone Edwards, and she's, uh, she's from Jamaica. She's like, yeah, baby, I was dancing on that. And I'm like, yeah, you were.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's- All right, so everybody's been watching uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. <clears throat> was MJ's way of motivating his teammates right or wrong? Right and wrong is tough. Oh, body say. language.
2: Yeah. e crossed your arms. <laughs> well, I was crossing Difference. my arms because I, d- I only think – Michael Jordan is the only person that I could talk to his teammates. Pull that about. off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, again, it's, it's hard to say like right and wrong, but because like he also held himself just as accountable and he was also the like go-to guy and still worked just as hard. I feel like he's the only player that can get away with saying some of those things.
1: Do you think you have to have both of those dynamics, the Phil dynamic and the Michael, like kind of balancing each other out? like super tough and then yeah it
3: probably helped that yeah. phil was there to like zen master yeah. the whole <laughs> you're a punk and then phil would like zen it down
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> your shoes off, please everyone
0: <laughs> okay why are sports important rapid go they teach, teach you life skills succinct love it
2: oh uh, gosh e! they teach you how to communicate with other people yeah. that you ne- you wouldn't necessarily communicate with
0: boom what do you
3: hope the league looks like in 10 years i always say this i hope i am the retired old disgruntled player who looks who looks at the league in present time and is like man they're making a million i never got to make a million or they're making 10 million (laughs) so i hope that is what the league looks like in 10 years that i'm mad i didn't get a chance at all this money
0: because that means it worked
2: Couche. absolutely
0: And how can we support you and follow your latest projects and support the league?
2: So my Instagram is E underscore Williams underscore one. Elizabeth Williams is a really common name, so I had to put all those underscores in there. But yeah, Instagram and Twitter are my main places, so just follow me on there.
3: Yeah, sbird10 on Instagram, s10bird on Twitter. I'm more of an Instagrammer, though, doing a live every Saturday, although this week we're taking off. We finished season one. That's what we're calling Ooh, it. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, and then I think the best way is, is to, you know, either follow the players, follow the league, take time out to check it out. And what about you, Keys?
1: Yeah, so on Instagram, my major Keys interviews are at Major keys Interviews with an S. And I'm on Twitter, like E, I did not have a cute, succinct name. So S-H-K-E-Y-S-S-S, S, so Keys, but with a lot of S's. So that's where you can find me. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, thank you all so much for coming on to Simflexity. Special shout out to Keys for co-hosting. Everyone tuning in, make sure you follow everyone and, and keep up with their careers and endeavors and support the league because now you really know the deal. We'll take a quick break here and then jump into this week's mantras. All right. It is time, as always, to do our weekly mantras. So if you're new, welcome. We go through a couple different affirmations and I repeat them twice and then I leave space in the third for you to say it out loud, should you choose to do so. Today, since we're dealing with athletes, I figured I would pull a Muhammad Ali affirmation that he used and then an affirmation I found specifically for athletes when they're playing tournaments or they're in the thick of competition and then I want to tie it in with the WNBA so follow along here we go first I am the greatest Muhammad Ali said it and look what happened so let's try it I am the greatest your turn do you really believe that say it again Nice. Second, the tougher the conditions, the better I play. And this can be in life. This can be literally in a game. The tougher the conditions, the better I play. Your turn. Yeah, it's kind of a new way of seeing things, maybe. And lastly, just like the WNBA is saying, I can bet on women with confidence. I can bet on women with confidence. Amazing, as always, thank you so much for listening. And if you have a woman in your life who you admire and love and respect and who might enjoy hearing this episode, feel free to share it with them. And feel free to share it with anyone, of course. And also, if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and subscribe so that you can be first to hear next week's episodes. Please feel free to post and share your takeaways on social media. Just make sure you tag at Simplexity Podcast and me at Allison Stoner so that I can see it and respond and reshare. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you next time for more Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.